Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Menares. I believe that we all need a space to speak our authentic truth, as well as a space to hear the truths of real and vulnerable people so that we can better understand that we are not alone. Hearing the experiences of others encourages us to step into the light in our own lives. It is through owning our stories and learning to speak our truth that we are able to grow and rise above the challenges we face and step into the full power of all we were created to be. You will hear many topics discussed in this space with people from all over the world. We hope that you feel welcomed into a community of growth and that this space will invite you to uncover the absolute greatness that is already inside of you. Oh, and don't forget, check out all the We Podcast episodes as well as the We Spot blog over at thewespot.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey girl, you're listening to episode number 59, Embracing Sadness and Finding Happiness. In this episode, I get to chat with Addie Barney. Addie was born and raised in France until she moved to Colorado as an exchange student at 17 and then made it her home. She has a 16-year-old amazing daughter, a beautiful and supportive fiancé, and two big dogs. She was raised by a very mentally ill mother, which she's now finding out defined a lot of who she is and how she has chosen her path in life. She's grateful for the incredible tribe of brave women in her life and for this opportunity to share her story. In this interview, we really dive into Addie's story of losing her mom to suicide and early childhood wounds that shaped and molded the way she saw the world. As an adult, she's now leaning in and doing the hard work to heal and move forward. She's learned that we have to embrace the sadness and uncomfortable feelings to pave the way to finding true happiness. This is such a beautiful and powerful interview and I can't wait for you to hear it. Thank you, Addie, for sharing your heart and helping us grow through your bravery and willingness to be vulnerable. This episode has been edited by the amazing Lux Gaze. That's L-U-X-G-A-Z-E. You can find her on Fiverr, Instagram, and Spotify for all your podcast audio engineering needs. All right, here we go. Here is my interview with Addie. Welcome to this episode of the We Podcast. I'm super excited to have the amazing Addie Barney with me here And I feel like this is like divine intervention at this point for us to be together (laughs) because I think we've tried getting together for a while, but I know um, it's all in perfect timing. So I'm so happy that you're here and I know you have a powerful story to share and that so many people are going to benefit from hearing your truth and, and your vulnerability. And so thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you making the time. Uh, And I feel honored that at least you're interested in hearing my story. No, (laughs) I think there's plenty more people. Thank you. Yeah, yes. So I know as like people who most people I know around the circle, because I met you through Heather. Yes. And everybody is fascinated by the fact that you were born in France, (laughs) which seems so amazing to all of us. So I know that's kind of where your story begins. Correct. So you want to jump in and kind of tell us about your early, early life and being born there and how, I mean, is it like... I know we idealize it here. Like, <laughs> it must be amazing. I get asked often, how did you go from France to Greeley? And you know, I love Greeley. I love Colorado. Um, I've made it my home. But my first home was Orléans uh, or Orleans, France. It's the old Orleans uh, as opposed to New Orleans mm. uh, here, mm-hmm. southern United States. And um, born and raised there, I came to the United States when I was 17 as an exchange student. I had just graduated high school, 
But going back a little bit, when I was four, five, six years old, I always wanted to be American. Mm. My favorite movie was my, um, not my friend Flicka, but like the, the sequel, which was uh, Thunderhead, Son of Flicka. <laughs> we had it on VHS and I watched it over and over. And mm. I was always attracted by the West part of the U.S., um, particularly Montana, Wyoming, yeah. Colorado. Uh-huh. So long story short, graduated high school, uh, joined an organization to come to do one year uh, as an exchange student. And people thought I was a little bit crazy because I already graduated high school. And most people think, why would you want to go back into high school? Mm -hmm. But I wanted to experience something completely different and ended up in Loveland, Colorado, of all places, for um, what was supposed to be 10 months. And that was back in 1995. Mm -hmm. So I've been here for 24 years. Wow. Um, Made a life here. Mm -hmm. Have a, a beautiful daughter. And um, my whole family is still in France. Uh, they do not speak English. French was my first language. Um, and France is incredibly beautiful. I think as I've gotten older, I realize just how beautiful it is and how much I miss it. Mm. I encourage everyone to go and spend some time there and discover. And people are, French people are not as rude as Americans might it's think. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like to tell people it's usually because... When an American goes to France, they encounter um, customer service experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think they base their idea of the French based on customer service. Mm -hmm. Well, the French do suck about (laughs) customer service. (laughs) It's it's very different uh, from American customer Mm -hmm. service. So I think that's where that misconception comes from. Yeah. We, Nick and I went to Paris for our honeymoon and we left thinking like, what are all these Americans talking about? <laughs> like, it was amazing. We loved it. Everyone was wonderful and nice and there are a lot we didn't, of, yeah. yeah, experience anything like Americans talk about, but good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is known because they're servers and people don't get paid on tips. They just get paid hourly rate. Correct. So that's the difference right. in like the service-based industries. They don't have to please you to get paid more. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And it's a career. It's very different as far as um, like servers. And, um, but I think also a lot of French people go to big cities as opposed to really getting to know people in smaller areas. And mm. I mean, even for me, when I go to Paris, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of people are rude. Mm. Um, but I think that comes with just the big city aspect and yeah the just yeah big city people being busy Mm -hmm. um that's that's why it's kind of like people going to new york you know right people are rude in new york people are rude in denver right people are rude in (laughs) greeley exactly exactly so can't generalize there are a lot of wonderful (laughs) french people who love americans that was the other thing when i first came to this country people asking me well do french people really hate americans and i I was really taken aback by that question. Mm-hmm. Um, having grown up with grandparents who went through World War II, I can tell you I was raised with the utmost respect for Americans because the only reason we aren't German is because Americans came and rescued us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my grandparents were very thankful for that. Mm-hmm. So I grew up believing that. Hmm. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Just a little tidbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you came here when you were 17 and... Yeah, how one ends up in Loveland, Colorado is, yeah. I mean, you knew, though, you wanted to come to the West. I did, and I um, I had asked for uh, Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado, and the organization just happened to pick, I guess, based on the, you know, supply and demand, basically, of uh, host families. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I stayed with a host family in Loveland and went to Loveland High School, mm-hmm. which is where I'd met Heather back then, but we weren't really friends back Did then. Did you we, meet her in high um, school? Yeah. Yeah, we were there at the same time because I was there 95, 96. I didn't even know that. Yeah, but we didn't hang out or anything. Um, and then we reconnected several years later. Yeah. Uh, and then I met you through her. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> huh. Okay, so I'm just going to dive right in. Yes. Um, (laughs) I think about a 17-year-old leaving their home country to go to a new country by themselves. Yes. Um, That's that's a pretty big step at that age. It was. It was. 
But the crazy thing is when I got here, I felt like I was home. Mm. And um, I, I mean, there were definitely ups and downs and leaving my family behind um, was a challenge. But I was so excited to be here to experience a high school that was a completely different experience from what I had um, gone through in France. Um, mm. High school in France is very academic. It's eight to five. There's no sports. There's no electives. There's no art. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's completely different. So mm -hmm. there's no dances. There's none of that. So mm. for me to come here and experience homecoming and theater, you know, drama yeah. and stepping out of my comfort zone uh -huh. big time I took an art class a drama class psychology yeah. that's where I discovered my love for psychology oh, nice. um it was a completely different experience and and I really I enjoyed it and I didn't want to go back mm -hmm. so I managed to um stay I got married uh, at a really young age I was 18 when I got engaged 19 when I got married and um was married for 13 14 years I mm -hmm. uh, got a divorce in 2009-10 um, and um, got my beautiful daughter out of it, mm -hmm. out of that marriage, yeah. and um, stayed and have had different career paths uh, throughout the years. And um, all at the same time, while trying to build a life here, still working on staying connected with my family in France mm -hmm. by traveling there once a year uh, to visit everybody. And, uh, and my mom used to come and visit and live uh, with my ex-husband and I for two to three months at a time. Mm. Um, she would visit. She was on disability, so she could stay for long periods of time. And, um, yeah, yeah, made a life here and mm -hmm. uh, became very much – I became an American citizen back in – 2011 2012 something to that effect okay and yeah I'm more according to my family I'm now more American than French <laughs> um I still think I have a lot of French in mm -hmm. me but I am very much Americanized and I, I love this country and I love what I do here mm -hmm. in a branch of law enforcement and um I I, I love Colorado I just miss the ocean yeah. That's the only thing. Yeah. The ocean's too far. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> if we could just pull it a little closer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be nice. It would be nice. So <clears throat> trying to decide which direction to go. <laughs> um, back to your early, earlier childhood maybe yeah. is a good way to go. I mean, I do have thoughts about you marrying so young, but we'll lead back up to that. <laughs> so... Do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about your early childhood? I know that there was some struggles in childhood and it began at a pretty young age for you. Absolutely. Well, I think ultimately coming to the United States subconsciously was a way to survive. Um, and that's what I've discovered over the past few years doing therapy and a lot of introspection. Um, my mother was severely mentally ill. She was never formally diagnosed other than depression um having um been a therapist myself years ago and done a lot of research i decided what her diagnoses were mm -hmm. um which i believe she um, had borderline personality disorder and was also um, struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. she had one of the most traumatic childhoods I've ever heard of, I mean, including sexual abuse, murder, um, mm. a, a slew of things. Um, yeah. It was a bit of a miracle that she actually lived until she was 60, and, and then that's when she died by suicide. But mm. growing up, um, one of my, I don't really have any memories of my mom and my dad together. They divorced when I was seven, and seven was also um, one of my first memories um, of one of my mom's suicide attempts. And I have learned over the years how pivotal that event was in my life. Uh, I think it was probably the last time I was really carefree and I played mm. as a child. Mm -hmm. um, because I was playing on the sidewalk with the little neighbor girl. And I saw an ambulance pull up and go into my apartment building 
And I wondered, oh, what's going on? And it was the it was the really serious kind of ambulance. There's two kinds of ambulances in France. Okay. And one is really, really serious. And it was the really serious one, the SAMU. And next thing you know, and so I'm, I'm kind of peeking and trying to see through the door of the building. And the next thing I saw was um, men carrying a stretcher. And I saw my mom's blanket. It was purple and white with little circles. Mm. And that was my mom's blanket. So it was my mom on the stretcher. And then they put her in the ambulance and they worked on her for a while right there. They didn't even drive away. They worked on her. Uh, mm. She ended up being in a coma. I don't know exactly how many days. I want to say maximum one week. My dad had had appendicitis. And so in France, when you had, at the time when you had appendicitis, they sent you to a rest home for a week to recover. Oh. So they had sent him to the mountains in a nice rest home. So he was not around. Okay. Um, so my, um, my dad's mother came to get me. And that was the pivotal event, mm. um, which I didn't realize, obviously, at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. It's taken me years and years to realize. Um, as a mother myself, I always felt guilty that I wasn't playful. Mm. Uh, I adore my, my, my daughter, but I was never the type of mom that's going to say jokes, <laughs> that's going to roll around on the floor and play. I don't enjoy going to the park doing things like that. Mm -hmm. And I always felt guilty that I wasn't playful. Um, I'm the serious mom. I'm going to get all your needs taken care of, mm. um, but not the playful part. Mm -hmm. In ther through therapy, I realized, oh, okay, this moment, this seven-year-old moment playing on the sidewalk, I think my seven-year-old brain decided, hey, when you play, you're carefree, bad things can happen. Mm. So you need to be in control. Mm -hmm. um, wow, that's powerful. It took years mm -hmm. for me to realize that. Yeah. So I'm working on my playful side. <laughs> It's not easy. See, I, I usually <laughs> see you on like girl girls nights. Right. And so y you probably feel more playful to me in because of the situation that I typically see right. you in. Yep. But yeah, I can totally see that correlation and why you would incorporate that thought into your mind at that seven year old brain you know where your brain was and the way you were seeing the world at that time gosh and nobody there I think about like your little seven-year-old self standing there watching this happen nobody being there to support you or you know comfort you or tell you what's happening even you nailed it yeah yeah which is exactly what I've been working um in therapy for the past seven months. Um, I don't know if we want to jump to the therapy piece that I've been doing for the past seven months or give a little bit more background. Um, yeah, let's do a little bit more background because okay. I know I, I'm interested to know kind of what happened with your mom. Sure. I'm sure our listeners are interested <laughs> too. <laughs> sure. Um, so my parents then got a divorce when my dad got back, my mom was in a coma. My dad got back from, um, the, um, the rest home and, um, <clears throat> decided he wasn't going to stick around and they divorced. I ended up living with my mom. Um, I would see my dad every other weekend and during the summer, um, so lived with mom. Mom was so incredibly depressed. She did not get out of the house for about 12 months. So even though I lived with mom um, and my sister, I have an older sister who's almost four years older than I am. Mm. We had, um, we're going to name her Gaga because that's what we call her. Uh, Gaga is essentially an adoptive grandma who um, took my mom under her wing and helped my mom raise my sister and I. Mm. So um, Gaga is like short for granny, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, she helped raise my sister and I. She, uh, the whole year that my mom did not get out of the house, she took us to school. She picked us up. She did everything she wow. cooked. We ended up getting a puppy, and that's what started getting my mom a little bit out of the house. She had to take him out to go potty. Mm. So... Um, but throughout my growing up here, so for the next 10 years, from 7 to 17 when I left, it was up and down. I cannot count how many suicide attempts we dealt with. Um, there were, yeah, there's just too many to count. Uh, lots of depression, 
Um, and, and mom, on top of that, I don't know that I would have diagnosed her as obsessive compulsive, but she definitely had some characteristics of mm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived with a lot of responsibilities, emotional responsibilities. I mean, my mom was, her and Gaga were great caretakers when it came to you know, food and providing shelter and our clothes were always clean, and, but it was almost to an extreme where we couldn't have a stain on us. I had to polish my shoes every day. Mm. Um, it, it was, you know, it, she cleaned the house three times a week. We it, just, we lived in a very sterile environment. And um, we had to be in bed by a certain time because mom s- suffered from insomnia, so we couldn't make any noise after a certain time. Mm. If I didn't kiss her goodnight at night, um, she could potentially pop pills because... That was rejection. That was me rejecting her if I didn't mm. kiss her goodnight. So as a teenager, you know, you're your normal female teenager and you pissed at your mom for some reason. Right. Well, you can't express that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always that aspect of being a caretaker emotionally for yeah. her. And that went on literally until the day she died. Uh, I am the most incredible caretaker. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's what I've done for years. Yeah. And, and I mean, I married at 18 to a man who had two children at home, full-time caretaker right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've held on to that role for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so decided um, to move to the United States, again, subconsciously. To survive, I think I needed to get away mm-hmm. from my mom. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was really hard because I adored her. I used to tell people, my mom is my best friend. Um, we had an incredible relationship when, when she was able to cope to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she wasn't, I, I, you know, kicked in full caretaker mode um, and, and took care of her and tried to get her back on track. And um, that, was, that was a struggle over the years. And then in 2009, October of 2009, she um, died by suicide. Uh, she had done something like that before where she disappeared a couple years prior. And we had, um, law enforcement had found her in the woods and she had um, cut her arms from her wrists all the way up to her shoulders mm, with wow. a, um, it was a dull box cutter. So it didn't go through or get an ar- artery or anything, but mm-hmm. she sent me pictures of her arms at the time. And, uh, my sister had put her in a clinic and I, France, I think is a little bit behind when it comes to mental health compared to the United States. Mm. I called about 50 different therapists, psychologists, all over France mm-hmm. to try to find her um, help. And I actually found a therapist who was familiar with Borderline, who was in the south of France. So mm-hmm. for a little bit, she actually did therapy over the phone with him. Yeah. And she felt like it helped mm-hmm. up until the point where he said something that she didn't like and she was done. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's yeah. the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was it like when, when you left? Like if it was a rejection to her to not kiss her at night? I mean, I'm sure it was hell essentially to leave the country. Yes. And it was incredibly hard for her to let me go. And she talked over the years about the sacrifice that she made. But she also realized that was my destiny I guess um, she mm. believed that and and I believe that and she let me go which I think was an incredible demonstration of love on her part mm. um, being borderline and having the trauma that she had she could have absolutely taken it as the ultimate rejection and somehow she was able to let me go and do it with love um, which was pretty amazing and support me emotionally we had um, I mean, we stayed very close over the years. Like I said, she would come and stay with us for two to three months at a time. She, we talked um, all the time. The phone bills at the time, you know, it was before internet, before FaceTime or WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. And just regular old phone and, oh, the, the phone bills that I had and that she had. Mm-hmm. But we, we talked pretty much every week mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and stayed close um, despite, despite the distance. Yeah. So that was good. And Mm -hmm. she, she was able to manage when she would come and stay with us 
a lot of times she would get here and was psychologically drained, um, barely coping. And it was almost like I had a mission for two or three months to get her back on her feet. Mm. And it wasn't easy. Uh, she definitely had uh, rough times when she was here. I remember the day before I gave birth to my daughter, she talked about throwing herself under a car. Oh, and yeah. if you were to ever watch the birth, uh, birthing video of my daughter, uh, I pushed for about 45 minutes. And while I was taking breaks, you know, in between pushes, because yeah. uh, my mom was in the room, I was like, Mom, you're okay? I was checking on her and making sure she was okay while I've got my legs spread trying to push a baby out of my vagina. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I think that's... That's the, like... Oh, go ahead. It, no, it just describes the relationship I had with my mom. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the epitome of borderline personality disorder, but codependency. Oh, and completely. I can totally relate to you because my mom was very codependent in that feeling of, you know, growing up, I can't have my own feelings. They can't exist because your mom has such big feelings that there's no room for yours and they can never be different. Uh, you can never challenge their feelings. So you have to learn how to silence your own. That's incredible insight. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a push and pull because you love them. Mm-hmm. And then you also want their approval right. and their love. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to feel rejected because you've learned that rejection is probably the worst thing that can ever happen to you. Right. Yeah, it was, uh, mm-hmm. it was a juggling act for sure. And then I can't imagine, too, one thing I didn't have with my mom was the the threat of harming herself. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine how much that must have added to the dynamic of needing to take care of her and protect her. Definitely. I I became her savior. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saved her many times. I rode in the ambulance with her several times until that last time where... I wasn't there, and I didn't save her. Mm. But I've learned over the past nine years, it wasn't my responsibility to save her. Mm-hmm. I did the best that I could. Mm. I loved her, and she knew that. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing I've really worked on, it's been a relief that she's dead. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to say that mm-hmm. without guilt mm-hmm. has been quite the process. I don't know that I have zero guilt. I know I have a little guilt um, because, for one, she isn't at peace. And, and everybody has different beliefs. My own personal beliefs allow me to feel at peace and know that she is at peace. Mm-hmm. But still, to be able to say, hey, I'm relieved that my mom is dead. That's, you know, to some people that might come off as, as really, really messed up. Mm. Um, but it, it, it is a relief. Yeah. You know, carrying her for so many years was, um, it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about codependency, absolutely. And I think it's shaped a lot of my relationships in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's something a lot of people feel, but most of them are too afraid to say it out loud right and so oh yeah i it's powerful melody Beatty's book codependent no more Mm -hmm. that was life-changing for me i read it in 2014 Mm -hmm. and i thought where has this book been all my life (laughs) Uh, that was that was a, a powerful book for me yeah yeah well one thing i realized you know when my mom left so she didn't pass away but essentially it's like she did you know um I didn't realize until after she was gone how much of myself I wasn't being like there wasn't space for it while she was here does that make sense yes and then as soon as she wasn't here I I mean it was scary and hard and all this stuff because it's like oh okay well now I have to figure out my own self (laughs) which is hard right (laughs) who am I right Right. but it's like a space opened that I don't know would have opened if she were here right Mm -hmm. absolutely it changes the dynamics Mm -hmm. and opens up a whole new 
playing field. Right. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it sounds like you've done a lot of work and you're continuing to do a lot of work, um, which is yes. amazing. Thank I you. love that about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been a journey. Over the years I went to therapy kind of back and forth. And it was about a year, 18 months ago, um, I have obviously some trauma, <laughs> mm, yes. and I decided to try EMDR. Mm-hmm. And so I went to therapy, did some EMDR, and what was really interesting is the first four or five sessions with my therapist, we didn't actually do actual EMDR. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, setting the groundwork and right. trying to figure out what to work on. And we were talking and, and kind of didn't see childhood issues to work on it was really interesting as we kept talking it wasn't childhood that was coming up it was another traumatic event um, with my ex-husband and and my daughter that's the piece that kept coming so that's what we worked on and last summer I thought oh I'm feeling really pretty great and so I stopped going to therapy Mm -hmm. and uh, in September I had a major life event Uh, happening I for the first time in my life fell in love with a woman and um, that rocked my world uh, completely turned things upside down for me in the most wonderful way Mm -hmm. and um, Mandy and I are engaged and incredibly happy but through being in this relationship it has led to an avalanche of events Hmm. Um, we back in December is when we got engaged which was rather quick to by most people's standards it works for us Mm -hmm. and uh, when well let me backtrack just a bit in in October I told my sister I was in a relationship with a woman and that's a trigger for her um, because my mom (laughs) was in a relationship with women as well and my sister um, never really dealt with that mm-hmm. she was always triggered by that so when I told her I was in a relationship with a woman she got triggered she started pushing me away um, our relation our we started talking to each other less and less mm-hmm. we um, our conversations were more superficial and then in December when I um, told her that I was engaged and we were gonna get married a couple years out mm-hmm. um, she essentially told me to erase her from my life. Mm. And I responded, okay, it looks like you need time. You're my sister. I love you. Let's just give each other time. Mm-hmm. However, within 24 hours, I had a very, very severe um, panic attack. I almost ended up in the hospital. And it's almost like that event uh, of feeling rejected by my sister mm. has brought back all of the rejection issues that I have accumulated for the past 35 years with my mother. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's opened the floodgates for emotions that I did not realize I was stuffing for the past 35 years. Mm. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. It is 35 years. Yeah. So I have dealt with um, anxiety, and I don't want to say depression. I don't think I have depression, just incredible sadness for the past seven months. So the past seven months have been the happiest and the saddest months of my life, Mm. which is so weird, and I'm trying to figure it out. (laughs) Um, But anxiety to the point where... um, I mean, it feels like an elephant sitting on my chest and I can't breathe and mm-hmm. I had to take some time off work and um, just probably the worst I've ever had to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I immediately, I mean, as soon as I got that email from my sister, I texted my therapist and she was incredible. She got me in December 30th and December 31st. <laughs> I went in both times uh, to work on things because I could not function. Mm -hmm. I also reached out to my doctor about um, emergency anti-anxiety Xanax Mm -hmm. um, just for emergencies in case I can't 
cope mm-hmm. any longer mm-hmm. um, just to kind of bring things down. But I also have this trauma with pills. I hate pills. So that's a really, that's something I've had to learn to cope with and mm-hmm. say it's okay when you're really in the middle of this anxiety attack or as I feel I try to gauge my anxiety from zero to ten mm-hmm. and if I get to a four or a five it's okay to take a half a pill mm-hmm. and I'll go weeks without taking one mm-hmm. but then sometimes it just gets to a point where all the coping techniques just don't cut it um, so what I've been doing is um, a mix of EMDR and IFS, internal family systems, mm-hmm. which has been incredible. And IFS at first um, was the weirdest thing to me. I thought, okay, this is this kind of makes me feel like I have multiple personality disorder. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't even familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it has to be able to get in touch with the different parts of me that I have ignored for so many years Mm -hmm. and just to acknowledge those parts and one of those parts is that seven-year-old little girl so Mm -hmm. when you talked about to imagine that seven-year-old little girl without support that's exactly what we've worked on Mm. in therapy Mm -hmm. and um, acknowledging her and embracing her Mm -hmm. to some degree um I think one of the big things for me that I didn't realize I was doing over the years was to reject sadness. Um, I saw when my mom would feel sad, she would lose control. Mm. It would escalate into depression, and then it would escalate into a suicide attempt. So sadness is probably one of the worst emotions for me to feel because Mm. how far is it going to go? Am Mm. I going to be able to control it? And that's what I've been learning through therapy is that sadness is a gift. Um, Mandy, my fiance, um, had me watch the movie Inside Out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This was back in January or February when I was right in the midst of the anxiety and, and just really not doing very well. And I remember getting so angry with sadness in that movie. I why did she have to touch all the balls and touch everything and (laughs) screw everything up? (laughs) Uh, And I think it was the perfect lesson, how important she is, how crucial sadness is to feeling whole. Mm -hmm. So every day I get in touch with sadness. Uh, I'm still to a point where every day I shed a few tears. Yeah. Uh, It's almost like I have, I'm a pressure cooker and this pressure just builds up. Mm-hmm. And when I cry, a little bit of pressure comes out and then I'm better and yeah. I can function and cope. But initially that sadness demonstrated itself as anxiety. Because mm-hmm. you were you, you oh. learned to shut it off. Yes. It's interesting because I tell my clients a lot. I mean, I see this a lot and I know it feels weird. Like I'm in this amazing period of my life. I'm in love with this amazing person and what the hell, like, why is this coming to me now? I think it actually says something very positive, even though it feels very terrible. But people don't, like, our bodies, our brains don't allow things to release until we're at a place where we can deal with it. Yes. And so you're in a safe relationship. You're in a supported relationship. You're in a good place in your life. And people get so discouraged because it feels like, what the hell? Like, can I ever be happy? Does it always have to be something, you know? (laughs) So true. So true. I think for the first time in my life, I am in an equal partnership. Hmm. I've been, you know, I was married for almost 14 years to a man who was 14 years older than I. It was not an equal partnership in any sense of the term. Yeah. Been in a couple relationships since then, same thing. They were different, but it wasn't an equal partnership. Mm. And finally, with Mandy, I have found someone who can handle me going through this process. Not only handle it, but support me through it, give me the space to go through it, the support to go through it. Um, 
that's exactly it. I'm finally with someone that um, I think my subconscious knew it before I knew it consciously mm-hmm. that I was finally with my person. Yeah. And so now, and but I'm finally with my person. I'm so happy and my world falls apart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which seems mm. so unfair, but mm-hmm. I think ultimately I'm grateful yeah. for it mm-hmm. because I'm doing the work. I'm working on myself. Yeah. And I have the best person by my side to do it with. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah. I think it also says that you're to a point where you're strong enough within yourself to, to deal with it. That's a Like great it's point. amazing that you have awesome support and you've done a lot of work prior to lay the foundation to even be at this point where now you can let this unfold and you can, you can do the work and you can actually address it. Rather right. than continue to act like it's not there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, you know, support at home from Mandy and my daughter, who's incredible and has been supporting me as well emotionally, although not in the same way my mom and I were supporting yeah. <laughs> each other. You're uh, like, disclaimer. Yeah, let me disclaimer. My relationship this. with my daughter is very, very different <laughs> um, than, than it was with my mom. Um, but I also have my tribe. And I think that's another huge piece um, for me. It's a small tribe, but I'm so incredibly thankful for those Mm. friends, those sisters of the heart that I have Mm -hmm. who have watched me grow, who have watched me at the top of the mountain and at the bottom of the valley. And they're always there Mm -hmm. without judgment. Yeah with love, with feedback, you know, they have no problem calling me out on things, but always with love and without judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, To be able to have those types of relationships is a gift. Yeah. I'm so thankful for. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I love it. (laughs) I think they're just so important. Our tribe is so vital. For, to everything. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're in therapy. You're doing EMDR. I love EMDR. Huge believer in it. I think it's amazing. Yes. And now where do you see yourself moving forward? That's a great question. Uh, I continue to go to therapy every week, mm-hmm. um, or every other week, I'm sorry. I used to go every week, now every other week. I do other things to take care of myself. This is, um, this is a daily, um, daily work, basically. So every day, I focus on being grateful, figuring out who I am, figuring out how to be the best that I can be. And, um, and so every day I just focus on that and, and sharing love and being love. So where do I see myself? You know, the, the thing that comes to me is happy. Mm. That's really, I think because I've struggled so much over the past seven months and I still struggle every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this is not a one battle. I think this is going to be a journey for a while. I don't know for how long. Uh, some days I'm just so tired of crying, mm. um, but I think it's necessary. So who knows how long this journey is going to be, um, but I, happy is where I see myself, happy and fulfilled and surrounded by people that I love and who love me mm. and um, being thankful for the little things. Mm-hmm. It sounds so cliche. <laughs> I'm listening to myself speak and I'm like, oh my gosh, you sound so cliche. But really, I think I can't, I've taken it for granted, I think, in the past. What? Um, not being, I think being happy or being not dealing with anxiety. Mm. I've taken that for granted in the past. And because it is my daily now, I don't. Um, I do a lot of things to take care of myself. I, I go to therapy. I take supplements. I do acupuncture twice a month. Love acupuncture. It's been a, really a, a gift as well. Hmm. Um, making sure I go for a lot of walks and just working on my thinking. Oh, I started painting too. 
Uh, I felt that that was another interesting. I've never considered myself creative. I felt the need to be creative. And through painting, I don't think I'm any good at it, but I'm enjoying the process. Yeah. So that's been that's been a good thing. So I love that. (laughs) Sorry. And I've seen a couple of the things you've made, I think, on Facebook, which are awesome. But another example of a a space that's been able to open for you now that you're healing in other places, which is awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'm going to continue working on myself every day, listening to positive affirmations. I've listened to Louise Hay since I was 19 years old. Uh, Mm. Love her. I love... um, Brene. I listen to Brene Brown a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, just continuing on this positive path, this loving path, mm-hmm. surrounding myself with positive and loving people. Yeah. So I can keep turning that positivity and love towards myself because I think ultimately that's the work mm-hmm. I'm doing. Yeah. Tell me more about that piece. <laughs> <laughs> I think... You know, having a mom who continuously tried to take her own life from, you know, the time I was seven, um, that was rejection over and over. That was an indirect message of you're not enough. You know, Mm. you're not enough for me to stick around. And I know that was the farthest thing from her mind. I know my mom Mm. loved me to the maximum capacity that she could. Which is why over the years, I've always, I wouldn't say made excuses for her, but I've never been mad at my mom because she did the best that she could, which something that was really interesting. This was about three months ago. I, was, I don't journal. And that day I decided I'm going to journal. And mm-hmm. I had verbal diary on this journal. I wrote and wrote and wrote without even really thinking. And it was almost like the different parts of me were arguing. Mm-hmm. And one part was saying, well, she tried her best. And another part said, well, her best wasn't enough. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think for me to be able to acknowledge that, yeah, that her best wasn't enough. Um, so that's the work mm. to, to realize for me that I am worthy. Just because my mom, just because I felt rejected by my mom over and over. And ultimately, when she died by suicide, that was the ultimate rejection mm. in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though I know she didn't mean it that way. I think you can't help but feel that way. Mm -hmm. Right. To realize that I am worthy of love and that even if I do get rejected by people, it's not the end of the world as long as I know my truth. I know my worth. Mm -hmm. I know my integrity. Mm -hmm. It's okay to move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen, sister. <laughs> like, <"Woo!" laughs> yeah. I think as children, we, we all children want their parents' approval. And I think that's been a hard thing for me to navigate in my life also. And I feel like just within the last few years, I've gotten to this place where I can acknowledge all of the amazing, beautiful things about my parents but I can also acknowledge the hurt and the things that happened and, and the lack of support and all of those things as well. I think being able to, to acknowledge the negative and the positive, I think so often we're like, oh no, I can't acknowledge that they did this wrong or that they didn't provide for me in this way or whatever because it takes away from the fact that I know they loved me or that I know that they tried or whatever. So we just ignore it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to look at their limitations, they're humans, mm-hmm. you know, and even to this day, I mean, looking at my relationships, my friendships or, you know, relationships with family members, it's looking at what they're capable of giving mm-hmm. and accepting and for me to be okay with that mm-hmm. in my heart and finding whatever that relationship is lacking, maybe, you know, it will be filled up in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Totally. 
I love it. All right. Well, I'm going to move into our questions. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> All right. So the first question is, is what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? The most vital to my growth. I think the willingness and the ability to be vulnerable. I've always been a fighter. I think over the years, if you were to ask, you know, my friends and family members, you know, I'm strong. I take care of people. I take care of business. Um, A little bit of a control freak, very type A. (laughs) (laughs) And I think through this process, I think I've had the most growth in my life in the last seven months Hmm. because I've had the most pain, also the most happiness combined Mm -hmm. but through that pain being willing to just drop the armor completely Mm. and say and recognize I am so incredibly sad so incredibly sad that I don't even know if I'm gonna cope for the next hour Mm -hmm. so to recognize that and just breathe and having the right people surrounding me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Mandy, Heather, Anne, um, those are my, they're my my rocks, and Mm -hmm. and Alize, my daughter. Having them giving me the space and almost permission, Mm -hmm. in a sense, Mm -hmm. to say, it's okay, it doesn't mean you're weak, because weak is bad, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So to say it's okay and just, be vulnerable and allow myself to feel what I'm supposed to feel. Yeah. Which right now seems to be sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when you've shut it down for so long, then it's it comes flooding, I'm sure, once yes. you allow it to be there. Right. But you're you're doing the work to figure out how to, you know, slow it down to a trickle, sounds like. Right. So you can deal with it as it as it as comes. It comes. Exactly. I think people avoid that. I agree. So much. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I think the American culture, if you look at, you know, a lot of different culture, but the American culture, we're always happy, peppy, you know, just positive and mm-hmm. right. So it's almost kind of it's kind of a negative to be sad or be Debbie Downer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think it's okay. It, yeah. It's okay. And that's what I'm learning. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's I'm learning awesome. it's okay to be sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It won't last forever. I think that's my biggest thing too is, is it going to last forever? Is it going to last? Is it going to be out of control? And for me to accept, hey, just just feel it one minute at a time, one hour at a time. Mm-hmm. Don't anticipate the worst. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. That's how you actually work through it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walking away from this podcast Mm -hmm. today, what do you want to make sure that people know? No matter who they are, what they've done, they're worthy of being loved. Mm. I think that to me, actually, um, when I came to one of your events in the room with all the colors, Uh (laughs) (laughs) um, And remember, we did the exercise where we threw the little pieces of paper. Mm -hmm. And the one that really got to me um, was something to that effect, that everybody here tonight is loved and is worthy of being loved. Mm. And I think that that's one of um, the messages that we don't hear enough. Or maybe we hear it from people, but we either, we don't believe it, we downplay it, we push it away mm-hmm. because of whatever reason, whatever trauma we have in our background or whatever messages we've been given before. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, just by the fact that we are human, we're breathing, we're here, we're worthy of being loved and we're worthy of loving ourselves. Mm. Yeah. That's the work I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's good work. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. It's, it's hard not work. Easy. No. <laughs> It's It's a struggle every day, Um, but I think I'm getting better at it, and it's Mm -hmm. thanks to all the support I'm getting and all the work Mm -hmm. I'm doing because I'm kicking my own butt. Yeah, 
yeah. doing it. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. I think being in raised in, in the environment where you're not supposed to have needs or right. wants or feelings or anything, essentially, you're, you're just supposed to be a caretaker, then, man, when you start doing the work and you start loving on yourself and all of those things it can feel really selfish yes and like oh I'm the biggest bitch in the world (laughs) so interesting you would bring that up because that is probably one of the worst things somebody could call me is selfish Mm -hmm. and you know I think there's a definition for that word that everybody has a different one but yes when you start saying no to people or you start asserting yourself and setting boundaries with people Mm -hmm. sometimes that's interpreted as well you're selfish Mm -hmm. when in reality you're setting boundaries you're taking care of yourself right and you're doing the right thing Mm -hmm. yeah totally (laughs) and I think it's only interpreted as selfish by the people who want either one take advantage or don't have any idea about their own boundaries or their own self-care and it's more a reflection of them than it is on on you or me or whoever but i agree mm -hmm. yeah yeah they're on their journey Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) we're on ours love them where they're at and (laughs) sometimes walk away (laughs) exactly yeah that's exactly and that's one of the things that's been part of the journey as well Mm mm-hmm has been to walk away from some relationships and my sister and I are working on our relationship I Mm -hmm. love her she's my sister Mm -hmm. and um we're gonna keep working on it we had our first conversation in seven months last week nice and it was loving and calm Mm -hmm. which is good good yeah it's it's gonna be a process Mm -hmm. but yeah meet them where they're at Mm -hmm. so well, I'm sure that there are people listening who would love to connect with you, get to know you. I think there's a lot in your story that people are going to be able to resonate with and connect with and and find hope in to see, you know, that you've come through this, you're you're doing the work that it is a road to happy and that that's possible regardless of where you've been and and what you've gone through and what you've dealt with and you're so that's very um inspiring and amazing so I'm sure they're gonna want to be near you so (laughs) if you can tell them how to find you where they where can people connect with you absolutely well thank you for those very kind words I appreciate that it was my goal today because I was very nervous about this and my goal was if I can maybe send a message to one person so if one person (laughs) um you know if it resonated with one person then I'm happy about that Mm. uh to reach me I'm not a huge social media person except on Facebook that's the only thing that I have Mm -hmm. so they can find me on Facebook um and my Facebook name is ad marie so it's a d space m-a-r-i and i'm sure Mm -hmm. um, they'll also find me commenting on some of your posts if they (laughs) can't find me (laughs) search there search there there you go i will um i'll put a link to your facebook page in the uh, show notes so people can connect to you easier sounds good all right thank you so much thank you (laughs) thank you it's been amazing i appreciate you listening and uh and encouraging me Mm. to share my story Mm -hmm. that was very kind and uh, i'm thankful oh well i'm thankful thank you (laughs) thanks All right, my friends, what an awesome interview. We absolutely believe in the power of our stories, and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart, experiences, and light with all of us. If you want more of the WE podcast, make sure you head over to thewespot.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as the WE Spot blog. 
The We Spot is your go-to spot for growth, connection, authenticity, and encouragement. You can also find us on social media. Head over to the We Spot Facebook and Instagram pages and get plugged in. You can also find me, Sarah Moneras, on my personal Facebook and Instagram pages as well. If you love the We Podcast, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. We want as many people as possible to be lifted up in growth and get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.